0: of the day before we preach. So what's the best promotion or opportunity that you've been given or recruited for, okay? And I think about, I think about movie pass, right? So a lot of us have done movie passes, unlimited movies for only $9.95 a month. I was having a conversation with random people. I heard they might go under in two months because they're not profitable. But for the next two months, watch as many movies as you can. Some other of my best deals. For a very limited time, Southwest offer a credit card where you can have the companion pass attached to it. It's usually like 40,000 points you have to accumulate. But for one weekend, when you have the companion pass, it means that any Southwest ticket you buy, your friend can come for free. When you buy one ticket, it's worth two tickets. So me and Nina got it. I'm thinking we'd go to New York, Florida on one ticket. Liam flies for free because he's under two. And Nina also comes along. After five months, we've used it zero times. But <laughs> it just made so much sense to get it anyways. And lastly for me, um, let's see. This is First Republic Bank. I just refinanced my student loans. Their lowest rate is one95 for for student-owned refinance. I know, their highest is about 4%, 15-year plan, and uh, just great customer service. If you're interested, I'll split the referral fee with you. All right, so what are some of the best promotions and opportunities that you've been given or recruited for? I'll give you guys a minute to talk about that. All right, any, like any really great deals we need to know about? This might be the rest of the service, but like <laughs> do you guys have anything like oh my gosh I just saw this on my Google feed on the sidebar of they're reading my email on Gmail. Anyone have some like really amazing amazing offers for the rest of our community? Go ahead raise your hand, Ariane. No, you got nothing. All right. Good to see you. <laughs> don't don't feel nervous. When we look at the book of Matthew, it's it's meticulously structured. It's this tapestry in which Jesus weaves together narrative, which is kind of the stories and the accounts of Christ in in um, in his life, and then discourses, his teachings. So between every narrative, there's six different narratives. There's a teaching of Jesus. Uh, these complement of his messages that are, again, woven together. And there's this process that the Gospel Matthew is taking us in, this journey. And so we're actually on the fourth segment now as we've been journeying through the book of Matthew. First uh, chapters one through four is about the Messiah of Israel and the hope of Gentiles. And we think about Jesus' arrival on the scene in Jerusalem and all of these Old Testament prophecies that allowed and, and caused anticipation for the Jewish people of the Messiah. Another word for the Messiah is the anointed one or the chosen one. Think about that, the chosen one. And everyone's just waiting for this king, the, the son of David to come on the scene and to build out his kingdom. And so Matthew worried that they had envisioned David building out Israel. And so Matthew is interweaving these ancient thousand-year-old prophecies with Jesus, saying that he's the one everyone's been waiting for. And after he walks into the scene with his birth and then uh, finishing with the temptations, in chapter 5 through 7 is his first discourse, the Sermon on the mount. It's similar, uh, kind of this mirror image, to Moses on Mount Sinai, inaugurating Israel as God's people, b- bringing them from former slaves to becoming a nation under God. And so he's giving all these laws, allowing them to understand how to interact with God, with each other, and with nature. And now Moses, uh, Jesus does the same. He takes the laws that Moses had spoken, but then he interprets them, he gives them the perfect interpretation, and he gives this beautiful picture of what God's community can look like. And his primary message is that it's not about outward laws, it's not about religious duties, it's not about um, not doing things and behavioral modification, it's about heart transformation. Jesus has come as a conqueror, But instead of taking land, instead of taking it with a sword, he takes hearts and he transforms them so that through love and free will, people choose to have him as king. He doesn't force them. He calls them. He beckons them. And he invites them into his kingdom. So he gives this picture of this beautiful kingdom in chapter five through seven. But this kingdom isn't wrapped up with a gate and drawbridges. No, it's a kingdom that invades. It's a kingdom that's of light that's piercing darkness. And Jesus is the first one into battle, right? He's the king on the horse with the sword, charging in before any of his knights and servants. He's that kind of king, right? He's King Arthur when you think about him. He's There's that triangle formation of horses, right? Piercing into... Uh, The other army and King Arthur has his sword and he's the first one into battle. That's Jesus in chapter 8 through 9. He exemplifies this light piercing darkness. He exemplifies the tip of the spear as he takes authority over demons, as he forgives sins, as he calms storms. He takes every category of evil and darkness in this world and he says, I will conquer that too. I have authority over that as well. And he reaches people who have been neglected. Jesus, as God, comes down to earth, and he doesn't interact with the smartest or the most righteous or the most influential. He takes a two-mile journey into the graveyard, and he talks to a demon-possessed man. He allows this woman to touch him and he heals her, who has been unclean for years. He goes to a leopard where everyone else scatters from and he heals him of leprosy. Jesus is that hero piercing darkness, taking over the kingdom of darkness by his might. And then at the end of verse 9, which we'll, we'll be at, and then the rest of chapter 10, it's the beginnings of a of a second discourse. Him not only being someone who pierces darkness, Him not only being the king of a kingdom who's invading evil, but calling us to join alongside of Him. You know, I, I remember being obsessed with, like, uh, superheroes, similar to, to Dave. And I've seen all the Marvel movies, and I was really into Power Rangers. And then I would daydream about it all the time, especially when I was a kid. Nowadays, just, you know, I don't have as much time to daydream. But I'm always, like, I'm always being invited into the superhero's journey, right? It would be, like, the Power Rangers and me, the second Yellow Ranger. And... Um, <laughs> No reason, random color. And um, anyways, and, uh, and I'm like shorter than everyone, but I have, I have fighting powers as well, right? And I'm fighting alongside them. The Power Ranger now has like a third arm that I became uh, out of my dinosaur. And, and I've always wanted to be invited in to, this, to an epic journey with a hero that seemed indefeatable and courageous and fearless, who, who never backed down from evil. And Jesus does that for us. And it's not a fantasy or a daydream. He calls his disciples not just to be observers or witnesses, but to be participants, right? Stephen Curry doesn't just invite you, Stephen Curry doesn't just invite you to, um, to a courtside seat, but he asks you to be on his team, to fight against the evil calves. Together, right? (laughs) To to shoot three pointers with him. Can you imagine that? And Jesus, the greatest hero of all times, um, the, the God and man together, says, come and join me in piercing darkness. Come join me in fighting demons, and, and offsetting oppression, and liberating people. Allow that to be what you live for. Beyond yourself, beyond your family, beyond everything that we're, we're, we're asked to, to give our lives to, do this, this that, it, that expands through the totality of human history. When Adam and Eve gave stewardship of the whole earth and themselves to evil, Jesus came to take it back. And he says, do that with me. So verse 35 says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. This is one of the first times we hear this word good news or gospel. And it it has this conquering uh, mentality to it. When they thought about kingdom, they thought about the Roman Empire. And when they thought about the idea of good news, it was the Roman Empire taking over another piece of land and sending out their servants, these people who would go and proclaim the good news to this newly conquered land. And this idea of gospel or good news is that they were telling people who had, they had just conquered that this is a good thing for you. You're going to be happy about this because when the Roman Empire takes over, there's going to be law and order. There's going to be education. There's going to be new roads built. When they thought of kingdom, they thought about an invading force. Now Jesus is saying that his kingdom has come and he's proclaiming the good news of his kingdom to people. But instead of forcing them and conquering them with the sword, he invites them in by dying the cross for their sins. When he saw the crowd, in verse 36, he had, com- he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more laborers, into his fields. So we, th- we see Jesus looking out at the crowds. Again, these are s- people who have come and haven't had, made a decision for whether or not they want to follow Jesus. He, he has three categories um, in the book of Matthew disciples who've given their life to Christ, the crowds who are in the middle, and the Pharisees who are the antagonists who are opposing Jesus he looks out at the crowd and he has compassion on them this idea of compassion is that it's it's not just um intellectual but it's this gut reaction it's it's this um kind of pulling on your on your heart where all of a sudden it opens up and you feel for someone around you you know i remember walking to starbucks and seeing this homeless person and i've seen and interacted with you know Dozens, maybe hundreds of homeless people. And a lot of times I just walk by. But I just had Liam and I adore my son. And I was just thinking about this man as a baby who I hoped had parents that looked at him and thought he was perfect and had hope and aspirations for him. And all of a sudden I had compassion in a place that maybe I hadn't had before. And I wonder, when we look out at the crowds of people, when we look out at our school or in our workplace or just at the city of Los Angeles, is there a compassion that we have for others? You know, um, we can oftentimes see a crowd and just kind of, if we're a doctor, we see all the sick people. You know, if we're a police officer, we see everyone who breaks the law. If If we're... Um, a businessman, we see all the people that we can market to. But Jesus, when he sees a crowd of people, he saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw people who were helpless and harassed. And I wonder if the Lord can just start opening our hearts for that vision as well. That we don't serve alongside Jesus until we see as he sees. And until we Take our eyes off of ourselves and our own life and our own ambitions and, and agendas, and we have compassion for others. We take our eyes off of ourselves, and we see the other, and we feel for them. You know, it says that. Why did he have compassion? Because he saw they were confused, or in other translations, they were harassed and helpless. And I wonder, as we reflect about our own spiritual journey, if we've seen how we were harassed and helpless before we found our great shepherd. I often sit back and think about what it means to have to carry my own sin. You know, I I think about the last week or month or years and the worst things I've done and what it means to just have it be a part of me or have to earn my way out of it, or be haunted with it without any way of finding forgiveness outside of myself. Or I think about, without Jesus, what it means to just be completely alone. You know, I was at, uh, my wife gave me two days at Hermosa Beach to pray and to go to a volleyball camp. I did both, (laughs) and I I was hanging out with some friends that I met there. And they went home to shower and stuff. So I just, I just waited for them at the restaurant. And I waited for probably like 30, 40 minutes. And I just thought, man, what would it be like? My phone had died, so I didn't have that distraction. So it became, so it was just me. And I was like, what is it like to just be without the Lord and feel totally alone? And, and I've forgotten that. I've forgotten what it's like to just feel alone or to feel a a terror to death and the finality of that or to see my whole life, my health, my finance, my purpose, my family and to say, I need to have a death grip on these things because no one else is holding this together. Maybe for some of us, we feel that way in our lives. And Jesus invites us into being his sheep. Someone that he says, I will care for you. I will forgive your sins. I will provide for your needs. I will hold your life in my gentle and caring hands. When he looks out at the crowd, he, his heart is to shepherd the people that he sees. And then lastly in verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. You know, I wonder when we look out again at these places we reside, if we see this great harvest of people who desire Jesus and want to be a part of his kingdom and family, or if we just think of people when we look out as those with folded arms, uninterested. If we believe scripture, Jesus is saying that the harvest is great. That there's so many people out there who want to be a part of his kingdom. And the problem isn't the desire of those who don't know him. The problem is that there's too few workers. And Jesus asks us to pray. He goes on this really long discourse of turning his disciples into missionaries. But the first thing he says is to pray. Is to sit back and pray for more workers. When I think about the history of Renew, that's how we started. We, me and Nina, God asked us to be missionaries to Fullerton before pastors. And so we, right across the street, are the apartment complex we lived at for three years. And God opened our hearts to, these, uh, to this apartment complex, hundred, 1,600 residents, 600 units. About 95% of them uh, are unchurched. It's a very lonely place as well. 5% of people in apartment complexes feel like they have a friend. Most people feel like strangers. And God called us to be event coordinators. So we did three events a month. We had 50 to 100 people show up for events. Sometimes we were off on the sidewalks serving donuts and coffees. Other times we would do these big brunches where 100 people would show up. And then we asked the Lord to help us build a church that loved their neighbors that would partner with us in reaching this mission field. And gear uh, uh, one into Renew, we did this uh, big like slide, um, water slide event. Like 250 people came from our apartment complex. They hung out for four hours. We had barbecue. Um, a lot of our core team was there. We slammed with them. And then we invited the kids who came out to VBS right here. And so, thirty-five kids from the apartment community came to VBS, and then our own kids as well. So Nina was Doctor Molecule, which was super cute. And um, Grace is there doing a skit. And I remember one of the men came in, and he brought his son. Um, they're both they're Muslim, but because of our relationship, I, I got to know him. He he just trusted us and wanted to be here, and he just stayed the whole time. He saw Jesus resurrect from the dead four different times in animation form. And I remember t- talking to him, and he's doing a master's here, and he's going back to Saudi Arabia. And so uh, two weeks later, I sat down, and we grabbed coffee together, and he shared with me about Islam, and I got to share the gospel with him. Over the course of time, we saw three women become uh, come from an Islamic b- background, become Christian. Uh, that's two of the, s- the twins. And uh, we got to baptize them. They were one of our first baptisms, and it was a beautiful thing. I remember sitting by the pool, sharing what baptism was. And then one of the sisters said to the other, uh, we might have to give our lives up to become Christian. Because in Iran, they execute people who who convert to Christianity. And I asked her, hey, have you seen people who have been executed? And they said it happens all the time. It was one of the most beautiful baptisms I got to be a part of. It. it was at Corona Del Mar. We were walking to our little nook. A seal came out of the water and smiled at us <laughs> when, when I baptized them. Uh, there were other people clapping that weren't a part of our church, but were a part of God's family. Over two years there. We spent three years total, but this is just to our second year as a church. And through me and Nina's ministry there, um, we had 357 spiritual conversations. We got to see 68 people connect to renew. We shared the gospel 70 times. That's a lot. And we got to see five people become Christian. Um, Another harvest field that we, we went after before planting the church was Cal State Fullerton and Jonathan Whitmore invited me to join his team. And he had been praying for Cal State Fullerton for a number of years and worked there as a missionary. And he was praying especially that Epic would start up because they had some Asian-American students that ended up falling through the cracks because they couldn't find a place at Crew. So he had just been praying over Asian-American students there. And then I came in. I said I wanted to help. And he's like, why don't you launch a movement? And I was like, that sounds like a lot of work. But 35% of people who go into uh, university start off going to church, and only 10% who graduate continue at church. So it's a place where people ask a lot of questions, and sometimes they don't find the answers they're looking for. But we get to be a part of the conversation and so we've had really strong stakes at Cal State Forts, and we've done thousands of spe- of surveys. Uh, a lot of you guys were on that team doing surveys. Kim was one of the first uh, founders of Epic. And when we do these surveys, it's always a humbling experience because you walk up to someone, you know, Hank and Ethan know as well, and you ask them some really basic questions, right? Like, are you interested in spiritual things, 1 through 10? Um, would you be interested in a personal relationship with Jesus, 1 to 10? And you do literally hundreds and thousands of surveys over the course of a few years. And people with non-Christian backgrounds, I would say a third of them are really interested in spiritual conversations, like not 8, 9, and 10 on whether they're interested in spiritual things. About a third of them are kind of in the middle, somewhat interested probably only 5 to 10% are hard rejections. And when I think about what Jesus says about the harvest, and I have no prior relationship. I'm just walking up with fruit snacks and a survey, right? And my line is, hey, are you interested in vitamin-infused gummies, you know? And do, if you are, just help me with this two-minute survey. And... um I have a batting average of like 80%. I'm a freaking pro when it comes to approaching people and doing surveys. Um, but there's this, there's this amazing eye-opening experience over and over again, whether I'm engaged, uh, we're engaged at Cal State Fullerton or at the apartment complex, that so many people are asking about spiritual things. And, and America is mute on that. Our education system is mute on it. Our bars and where places hang out, our parks, don't talk about it. I've had people that I've met who come from other countries comment on this. They're not Christians, but they're just like, no one wants to talk about things that are really significant. I don't, I don't even know where to have these conversations. And we're so blessed to be able to, to provide that uh, through Epic and Crew. We do all kinds of things like solarium. um, And then we did this big magic show where we filled up this pavilion with 600 students. We had to turn 150 away. And this guy gave a world-class magic show and then invited people to the gospel. About 50 people received Christ there. And then there's Philip Chu. Where's Philip? Uh, He's here somewhere. And um, I remember when he first came to Epic, he was like, I want to. I didn't even get his name, but he said, I want to disciple new Christians. And I was like, Oh man, that's scary. And um, and then he said, I'm a part of a cult, but he didn't use the word cult. He said Alpha Omega. And um, I just wanted to kick him out right away and save myself the trouble, but the Holy Spirit said no. And then um, we at a bonfire, we sat down and talked to him. We said, Hey, we want you to be here. He's he has no exposure to a Christian faith. Has suffered a cult. And, um, and uh, but we, we don't want you to invite anyone over. Is that a deal? He said yes. And then he learned about the gospel. He had a lot of quest- questions. We got to baptize him. And Philip was one of the best inviters of people into Epic. He probably invited 20 to 30 of his friends out to Epic over the years. Carl was one of them. I saw Carl here today. And uh, he's one of the friends Philip invited to hear the gospel. And then Carl became Christian at a really hard time in his life. And then I got to baptize him. He shared his story about that. And then God just kind of dropped us into these two mission fields as a church. You know, he he called us into um, these two places and then placed us right in the middle of it, where the apartment complex is literally a wall away from where we are now, and Cal State Fullerton is across the freeway. And as I think about the Next three years after that, we started seeing other ministries be birthed out of Renew. Our special needs ministry is amazing and, um, and like, probably our most, one of our most established ministries. Basketball ministry, started by Arden with Dr. Ken and also Jonathan Whitmore, has really brought a lot of people to become friends uh, and, and hear about Jesus at Renew. Our fight club by Andrew and Chris and then Creative Ministries, and now partnering with Royal Family Kids Camp. And I think about all the missionaries that we've been able to send as well. Irwin, the Fishers, Jeff um, have gone as full-time missionaries through Renew. In our our short four years, we've been able to send missionaries um, out of state or out of the country. And then we have six local missionaries as well, the Whitmores, Gabe, Janet, Janelle. Dave actually works at Cal State Fortin part time with Crew. And then Paul Kim's the Army Chaplain. And then we have Priscilla, Ben, Amos, and Mark, all seminary students. So what, a, what an amazing thing to see God call laborers into, into the harvest field through Renew. Such a short uh, time as a church, three years, such a small congregation. And yet, God has done great things. But those are the obvious laborers, right? I think about all the teachers we have in this room, helping out with continued education and special needs, or just serving um, in, in history class, wanting to go into, into PE, and allowing the gospel to be, and the kingdom to be a part of how they serve their schools, you know, in the administrative level. I think about the PTs, the surgeons, the OTs like Nina, the nurses who are a part of our church. Um, the social workers who Grace works with foster kids, her every day of the week. Ben looks after people who have men, who are there for mental health. Uh, we have full-time parents. Um, and then business people and techies, right? And when you think about all these people, community. Event organizers like me and Nina, we were working, we were working in a secular space. Um, all of the things we did, we did because we saw it as a mission field, not because it was a part of the apartment life's uh, apartment community's expectations of us. But when I think about God's kingdom, it's there's two ways to look at it. When our, when we have a society that's educated, that's healthy, that have parents. That is more like God's kingdom than a society that is illiterate and that is dying of of illnesses and that have kids are on the street. When we have a society where where uh, economics are doing well, where we have access to technology, where we have servicemen and women protecting us, that's more like God's kingdom than when crime is going rampant, when uh, you can't. Call anyone when you have an emergency um, god 's kingdom looks like our professions um, expanding it with with ethics and caring about what you do and doing it well. but as we build god 's kingdom through our profession, we also invite god people into this eternal kingdom um, where where we get to experience its fullness in ways our occupations will ultimately uh, hit a limit to, right? That the beautiful part about the fullness of God's kingdom, we're in the here and not yet phase, but when it's fully here, um, people will, be, will have access to truth, and we won't have to battle lies. People will be fully healthy, that everyone will, have a, will be a part of a family, that we get to do business in ways that isn't about greed, but is about creativity. When I think about Acts chapter 17, I think about all of you. Because you have been placed in such specific places where God's calling you to be a missionary that I have no access to. And he's, but he's also placed us here as a community to be missionaries to places that we can only reach together. I'm I'm moved every time I read this passage. I want to read the whole chapter, but because of time. For this is uh, Paul in Athens. He's gathered Athens gathers the greatest philosophers and thinkers of their generation, and they they talk about all kinds of religion and ethics and what society should look like. And here, as they give Paul a platform, here's one of the things that he says. For one man, he has created all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. What Paul is saying is that every person, when God places them on earth, he marks out the time they're supposed to be on earth for and the spatial place that he's placed them in. That it's with intentionality, you are where you are. With purpose, he's placed you in this moment, in this space, to hear this sermon. It's with purpose he's placed you in your job, in your cubicle, in your classrooms, with the people next to you. Why? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move, and have our being. For some of our poets have said we are his offspring. God places you and everyone around you in each moment, in each space, whether you're rock climbing, or at the movies, or in the grocery store, for the very purpose of finding God, so that we would find more of him there's always more of his love to be discovered, but also so that other people can find him through us. Isn't it amazing to think about how detailed and thought through and with such precision he places everyone on earth for us to work with, for us to uh, be at parks with and at coffee shops with? You know, I think about my volleyball crew on Saturdays. And I've been able to spend two years with them. And one of the girls uh, that I, I love partnering up with because she can set super well, um, she asked me to do her premarital counseling. And her and her boyfriend aren't Christians, and, but I've been able to just be there with them, right? Um, not as a pastor, but just as a laborer like you are. Another guy, I love his, him and his family. I've gotten to know his kids. I always partner, try to partner with his daughter. She's probably like 17, 16, and um, getting really good at volleyball. But I, there was a time where I got really cocky about volleyball. That's like 95% of the time where I'm like, I need to play with better players, right? And then, but then she felt like my little sister. So I I started playing so that she would have fun. And it was just, uh, it was just so much better than playing for my ego, right? So when we won together, I'd be so happy. And then one time at a game point, like this person was was spiking and I blocked him and we won that from a game-winning block and she was super happy. And my, my heart just like leapt for her you know and um and uh i've gotten to know her her dad he's become a friend and they talked about how they lost he lost one of his um nephews to a car accident he was coming home drunk stepped into the street and got killed and they're just grieving this was like in between a game he was just talking to me about it and um, he said man it's been hard to go to church." It's been hard to pray, and I have some doubts. And our family, except for my wife, haven't been to church in months. And so this week, I'm just going to see if he can grab coffee. Um, Because everywhere I go, when I'm doing it right, God's placed me and everyone else there for a reason. And the harvest is plentiful. And I just want to invite all of you to be workers And wherever he's placed you, here together and where you are on your own as a firefighter, as a teacher, as a mom, as this businessman. He's placed you there and he's placed people around you so that people could draw near to him. And you know what I think is the best part, the best, best part about doing this is that I think Jesus and for sure his disciples prayed for laborers and I think about all the prayers that Jesus has answered for me, and I get to, I get to. May, okay, maybe I'm wrong here, but I get to answer one of Jesus' prayers. I think he talks to the Father for laborers, and I get to be like, hey, Jesus, I want to do what you prayed for. I want to be someone who's on the field and call other people to the field too. That Jesus prays for this, and we get to say, We get to say yes. I hope that we could quickly, um, I mean, some of our core value, one of our core values is that it's about Jesus' mission. And in the very small font that you can't read, a church where every small group is a mission team and every member is a missionary. That's who we are. We pray that we would be, it's about being God's family. And in the small font you can't read, that we're praying for a multi-ethnic family. Not because it's cool, but because we want to reach all the nations. And we do that through being multi-ethnic ourselves. You know, we have some Brazilian families with us. And it was amazing in our small group to hear Dario and his wife pray in Portuguese uh, for us. And I invited them and Paulo and his family to lead us in a Portuguese worship song because we desire to be uh, a community that can reach all of Fullerton and we prayed that we would be empowered by the spirit we're not doing this on our own we're doing this because jesus prayed for us to do this and then he gave us the spirit to partner with us to empower us so where has jesus called you you know he's called me to the beach to play beach volleyball. Praise the Lord for your calling. <laughs> Thank you, God. I receive that in Jesus' name. Uh, who, where has he called you to reach and to love people? And also pray with Jesus. Answer his prayer and pray with him for laborers. All right, Well, we just go ahead into our small groups again? We're going to spend five minutes there, and then the worship team will uh, lead us into worship.